Hello, magic makers, and welcome back to the Metaphysical Apothecary. We are your hosts, Megan and Shannon. We are also known as the Scorpio Sisters, and we are here to explore the mysterious, magical, and the arcane. So both of the Scorpio Sisters are coming to you today with a new topic, which is actually a sticky wicket. It's thought forms and non-corporeals and the trials and pitfalls that come with working with those energies and entities. Working with and sometimes interacting with, even if you didn't intend to work with them. Right, whether you want to or not. (laughs) (laughs) So what are thought forms and non-corporeal beings? Let's start there. Thought forms are exactly what they sound like, what the name implies. A being that is formed through intensive, repeated thought. Mm-hmm. Most often, this is going to be some sort of creature that has been talked about for years and decades by a group. Maybe it didn't exist to begin with, but now it does because people have been talking about this legend or this cautionary tale for so many generations. One modern example of this is Slender Man. Yes. Slender, Slender Man didn't exist, <laughs> not before the internet. <laughs> No, before the internet, there was no Slender Man. You cannot find mentions of him slash it anywhere prior to that. But now it's become such a widespread thing that Slender Man has sort of become this anomalous entity that can interact with us because he's a thought form. And it's gotten to the point where there are potential videos of Slender Men in the background of people's videos. Right. So human thought is scary and powerful. Very much so. And we all know that our thoughts dictate our experiences. Where your focus is, is what you're going to experience. Mm -hmm. The same holds true for the things that you ruminate on. Like the Slender Man, for example. Dracula would be a thought form. Dracula as the vampire, as Bram Stoker's vampire, is a thought form. He's based on a real person. We know that Vlad Tepish did exist. He was a historical figure. He was more than likely not a vampire. We don't know for sure, but <laughs> we can we can kind of assume that he probably wasn't one and that he definitely was not involved in murdering anybody in England. He didn't travel the seas with a coffin full of dirt or anything of that nature. But Dracula has become this thought form that is really deeply ingrained into modern society, so much so that we feel compelled to keep telling and retelling the story in ways that make us think or make us feel more comfortable with him. Mm -hmm. We expand on his mythology even beyond that which Bram Stoker started. Mm-hmm. and made his mythology broader and richer. Right. And this is something that humans feel compelled to do, to tell ourselves and each other's stories. It's one of the ways that we pass knowledge along. And a lot of mythology, a lot of these tales are cautionary ones, which is why so many of them are so scary. Some of them are moralistic tales. You've got the tortoise and the hare, for instance, where... You're taught that working slow and steady, you're going to get where you need to go eventually. And that sort of morphed into the modern egregore of Bugs Bunny. 
Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. is a modern trickster. He's a modern trickster thought form egregore. <laughs> Everyone knows who Bugs Bunny is. And when you think of him, you start to laugh. You start to giggle because he's silly, but he's also a trickster. He's a trickster, like you said, but he's also an educator. Mm-hmm. Because how many people, especially when he first came out, started learning classical music and ballet because of Bugs Bunny? Uh, absolutely. I'm only familiar with The Barber of Seville because I saw it on Looney Tunes with mm-hmm. Bugs Bunny. So he is a trickster. He brings fun and silliness. But in the process, he's bringing educational experiences to people at the same time. Right. So he is both a thought form and an egregore because he came from someone's thoughts, but then people began adding to his mythology and expanding it. And I think that's the key to any of these beings is that they'll come from an original source. Somebody will have a thought that, oh, wouldn't it be wacky if a chimera with a scorpion tail and a man's face existed? And then they tell somebody else about it. And that person begins feeding the story by saying, well, what if they also ate this thing and lived in this place? And and then you begin to construct rules around their existence. Yeah. There's conventions around how they interact with the world around them. And then somebody else gets a hold of it and adds to it and the story becomes richer and suddenly it's a fully formed being Mm -hmm. that yes is essentially fictional but we still interact with them as though they are real yeah and they start interacting with us Uh uh-huh and that's a key to thought forms is that interacting with humans is actually essential to their being Mm-hmm. The endlessly used analogy, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, doesn't make a sound. In the case of thought forms, that would be no. Right. If there's no human around to interact with these types of beings, they wouldn't necessarily exist or continue to exist. Mm-hmm. In a million years, if we don't have any artifacts around about Bugs Bunny, the beings of that time period are doing archaeology won't know about Bugs Bunny and Bugs Bunny wouldn't interact with them. Exactly. Same with Dracula. They might know about Vlad Tepesh, Mm -hmm. but the mythological character of Dracula the vampire would cease to exist. Yeah. So there needs to be a continuous interaction with the stories, the thought forms, and the beings that have evolved from those stories and thoughts in order for there to still be egregores or Dracula and monsters like Slender Man or monstrous beings, I should say, not necessarily monsters themselves, but monstrous beings, servitors, tulpas, and imaginary friends also fall into that category. So egregores are the energetic, non-physical entities that arise from collective thoughts of distinct groups of peoples like Bugs Bunny that have a purpose. Bugs Bunny's purpose is to make us laugh, to be silly, to be mischievous, to play pranks, and educate while doing so. Right. And as long as that purpose is being served, Bugs Bunny is continuous. It's continuously happening. He's never going to run out of jokes, run out of pranks, run out of things to educate others on. He's just going to continue on forever, as far as we know, until we stop interacting with him, when we stop laughing at how silly him and his universe is, when we stop learning new things from interacting with him. Right. 
And a thought form is a manifestation of the collection of ideas and emotions and thoughts and consciousness of a single individual or a group of people. So egregores usually manifest because of a large group of people putting energy and thoughts and emotions into a being and giving that being purpose, whereas a thought form in general doesn't have to be from a group of people. It can be from a single entity or single person. Right. So all egregores are thought forms, but not all thought forms are egregores. Yeah, exactly. Essentially, thought forms can be things like PK manifestations that become poltergeists because Mm -hmm. that can be from a single person. Yeah. And then once you start giving that PK manifestation characteristics and traits and personality and potentially purpose is when it becomes a potential egregore. Right. A PK manifestation poltergeist would just be this amorphous thing that's knocking shit over in your house and scaring your cat. But the second you name it Casper and start assigning personality traits to it, it becomes an egregore. Mm-hmm. So servitors are thought forms with a, an extremely specific purpose. So we talked about egregores have a purpose, but egregores have more autonomy than a servitor does. So you might be able to work with Bugs Bunny energy in your practice But Bugs Bunny is an entity that is separate from you. You did not create him. You might feed into his continued existence, but you did not create him. Whereas a servitor is an energetic being that you help manifest into existence to do a specific task for you. These tasks may include things like continuously re-strengthening the wards in your home, following around your loved ones to keep them safe from any supernatural dangers they may encounter, safeguarding portals accompanying you into the astral if you work on the astral, accompanying you into other dimensions if you do psychological interdimensional work. They can also alert you to anyone who is trying to do workings against you. So essentially, they do a lot of protection work, but they can also do things like, hey, I need the energy around my abundance altar to attract financial independence. I need that to be continuously renewed. So for instance, I have a little ceramic dragon that serves as a guardian for my abundance bowl. This particular dragon is not a servitor, but I could turn it into one by asking a servitor to inhabit this ceramic dragon and continuously refresh the energy around my abundance bowl, while at the same time keeping all of that negativity and ickiness that crops up around money away from that space. Mm -hmm. And the exchange rate here is that you also have to take care of your servitors. They're not just there to do stuff for you. That's why we manifest them into being, but that's not the end of our responsibility. So we do have to feed them. You could maybe pour it a shot of bourbon every two weeks, or you could say all of the dust mites that are floating around my house, that's going to surface its food to make it a little bit more low maintenance. But you do have to exchange with it and be a good steward of your servitor as well. It's going to be like a plant. If you don't care for your plant, it's not going to grow or bear fruit. And servitors can be entirely intangible. They can exist on a different plane. But you can also house servitors in items and things around the house, like houseplants or dolls. Well, that's what gargoyles are. You can 
do it with stuffed animals. You can do it with statues. You can do it with images, like pictures on the wall. Kellyanne Maddox actually has a really amazing video about creating servitors and what they do. Yeah, I have servitors in my practice. I have them attached to my some of my old dolls and stuffed animals. And I also have a gargoyle that is acting as a servitor against porch pirates. Right, because we've all experienced that. Yeah. So a tulpa is actually a Tibetan concept of materialization of a thought form. And what sets them apart is that they are normally created by one singular person, but they are not necessarily bound to that one person. So if you are manifesting a thulpa or you have manifested a thulpa and they choose to stay with you, they will stay with you until you no longer resonate on the same frequency as they necessarily need, want, or want to interact with. And once you no longer are on that same resonating frequency, Thulpas can and do leave you and they will go look for someone else and see if they can't interact with another person in order to have that same frequency with them. Usually they're very, very positive entities. They're there for courage and bravery and general moral, ethical positivity. When you're manifesting a thulpa, it's very good energy. And when you are no longer either in need of that energy or no longer giving off that energy is when a thulpa will say, okay, peace out. I'm going to go find someone who is actually in need of courage or is being courageous. So if they're manifested in Los Angeles, California, and that manifesting source is no longer resonating on that frequency of needing or providing courage, they will go to Mobile, Alabama to be with a little boy, or they will go across the seas to Barcelona, Spain to be with a little girl who's in need of and displaying a great courage in her life. And when she no longer resonates on that same frequency, that thulpa would then go to wherever in the world it needs to go to to find that particular resonating frequency. That makes sense. So once a thulpa is coming to existence, it is not bound to you. It is more independent and sentient and will leave you. Right. So thulpas are similar to servitors as in they're there to help you but they have their own autonomy. Yes. Whereas a servitor really doesn't. No. Servitors don't really have personality per se. Even if you give it personality traits, it will only have that trait for as long as you decide that it will have that trait. Right. So servitors and tulpas, if we're talking about how dangerous or how helpful are these intangible beings, those two... They're not going to cause you any harm because their purpose is to help you. Um, however, we chose to talk about this topic because thought forms and egregores can be kind of dangerous, both in terms of what they're able to do and in terms of how people act when they think they might have a haunting and that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Or when they feel they have a mythical legendary, fantastical leader to follow that is not the best example of humanity. Right. So essentially thought forms, egregores, etc., etc. This can happen PK manifestations. PK stands for psychokinetic. 
of psychokinetic manifestation is a being that comes into existence because of the intensity and strength of your thoughts and your emotions. This very, very often will happen, not always, but it will often happen to adolescents mm-hmm. where your child turns 12 or 13, hormones start rushing through their body, causing all kinds of changes in their brain and their hormones that they're not necessarily prepared for because none of us ever were. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, glasses start breaking without anyone standing near them. Things start falling off of your shelves when they never have before. Doors begin to slam in the house and it's not actually your adolescent doing it. Mm-hmm. they're not anywhere near the door when it slams it's just the intensity that they're experiencing needs somewhere to go so it's being pushed externally to yes give them some relief but then it's taking on form because it needs to go somewhere yeah as we said this can also happen when stories are told over and over again and it's the same basic process it just takes a lot more people because when you don't have that intensity you need more than one mind to fuel this Mm -hmm. so an excellent example of a dangerous egregore that is making its way through our culture is egregore jesus Mm -hmm. and you'll see this being manifested as people who are clinging with both hands white-knuckled to their vision of a white Republican Jesus that agrees with their bigoted, hateful views toward people who are not like them. When, in fact, if you read the Bible, as I studied the Bible for over 20 years, and Shannon has done the same, Jesus was a brown Middle Eastern who Mm -hmm. preached socialism. And there are great many people who call themselves Christians, who attend Christian churches in the United States particularly these days, who are verbally outright rejecting biblical Jesus and saying, that's not the Jesus I worship. Like they're actually saying these words. Mm -hmm. And what that has done is it has started to create almost an anti-Jesus egregore that they can worship and feel good about. I first heard about this from a Christian witch who has a beautiful platform on TikTok and a couple of other places. We've linked her website below. Her name is Sarah Restrison. I probably mispronounced her name and I apologize, but please go follow her on TikTok, YouTube, wherever she is. She's incredible. But she talked about Egregore Jesus being this manifestation of all of these people, similar views, and they want to be angry. They want to hate certain people so that they can feel like they have some kind of control. Mm -hmm. And this is what's manifesting out of it. Yeah. Something very similar happened back before World War I, where a lot of negative attributes were placed upon Nordic deities and the Nordic pantheon in order to perpetuate the desire from a certain type of person to want to hate and repress and cause ill intent to others. Right. And we see that continue today in white supremacist circles that reject Christianity and embrace paganism. I am not purely a Norse pagan, but Shannon and I both work with Norse deities. Loki, I also work with Freya. I work with Odin as well. And it's 
interesting to watch people try to reframe these gods in the image that they want them to be in. So the same thing is happening to Jesus that has happened to figures like Odin and Thor in particular. Yeah. You have people that see them and see that the surface characteristics of strength and power, and they gravitate toward that and say, this entity thinks like I do, and that's what I'm going to worship. Yeah, and oh my god, that is so not accurate. Historically accurate in general. No. Historically speaking, the mythology of Odin, he's a wanderer. I don't know very many personalities that wander the world that perpetuate hate. No. In fact, most of the wanderers that you encounter in mythology or historically are preaching the exact opposite or spreading the exact opposite. Yeah. So it it just, it does boggle my mind how they're, they're able to take these particular deities and, or, you know, Jesus and twist them so much that they're more or less the opposite of what they originally were. Well, the process of this, the way that this happens, is that they don't do any further analysis beyond what they see on the surface. And that's what makes it dangerous. And that's where the egregore comes from. Because Mm -hmm. these negative egregores wouldn't exist if there was an inquisitive mind behind it going, okay, what is this person really like? It's very similar to Bram Stoker's Dracula where you have the real historical figure and then you have the egregore or the thought form. And they're not the same, but one had to come first for the other to exist. So you have people working with this white supremacist Odin, whereas mythologically, Odin was a seeker of wisdom. He sacrificed his eye for it and he hung on a tree to give people runes. Like you said, he's a wanderer. And a very, very frequent mantra among people who work with Odin, especially Norse pagans who are fighting against this encroaching white supremacy in that sector, is he is the all-father, not the some-father. Yes. So this is something that has just started very recently. It's The seeds of it have been there for a very, very long time, but the people who want this egregore anti-Jesus essentially have become so emboldened that now they are speaking it. They're speaking it. They're talking about it to each other. People who don't espouse these bigoted beliefs are falling away. They're leaving the church. They're either forming smaller Christian groups that are more connected to their communities or they're finding small pockets of churches that have not been corrupted by this, or they're turning to other faiths. And what is left is this really undiluted, very concentrated group that just hates. And for that reason, this egregore that they've created also hates. It's fueled by hatred. And it's really scary if you think about it. But the thing of it is, eventually this egregore that they're creating is going to destroy them. Mm -hmm. And then it will no longer exist either. Yeah. We don't know how long the time period could be with it left onto its own, but that's just the natural progression of negative egregores. Eventually, there's no external food source and it needs to cannibalize what originally created them. And you can see this manifested in the idea that they'll rip each other apart. It's happened multiple times throughout history in large ways, but also in small ways. 
whether it's through people recognizing that this is wrong or through terrible tragedy, it will eventually be gone. It can't sustain itself. Mm -hmm. And those are actually ways that we can put pins in these egregores when we see them forming too. We can put doubt into people's minds and things of those nature. The doubt is one of the most toxic subsidies for these egregores. Once people start to doubt, it doesn't get enough sufficient energy and food source. Its nutrients are are then lacking. Exactly. So now we know what to look out for in terms of an egregore. And we've made them sound big and scary. And sometimes they can be. But other times they can be super helpful. Also, this is a type of genus loci that is bound to a place, particularly a house or a building or a location within another location. So a park or a trail within the wilderness that has stories about some of the things happening that may or may not have actually existed and manifesting a thought form that protects or interacts with those who are in that place. Mm -hmm. And it could be very scary because sometimes they're seen as ghosts or they're seen as monsters that inhabit the trail or, you know, trolls that are underneath the bridge, but they actually are not able to and don't have a desire to leave that house that they were created in to protect. They don't have a desire to leave the trail or the park or the go for, out from underneath the bridge as long as they're protecting the bridge from collapsing. Right, exactly. The same principle can be uh, applied to the monster under the bed or in your closet. Mm-hmm. This is especially um, helpful if you live in a pagan household and your child is afraid that there's something hiding under their bed or in their closet and they believe in spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell them that, no, that they don't exist because spiritual beings exist. You can say to them, yes, sweetheart, he's there to make sure that you have good dreams. Mm-hmm. So then this child begins feeding the idea that they have a spiritual guardian that is there to help them. It looks very scary, but it actually loves cuddling. Right. Decorates underneath the bed with all these dust bunnies because he also loves bunnies. And so he makes dust bunnies. Exactly. So it can be super, super helpful to understand how they work so that you can build this team of your own <laughs> yeah. energetic guardians. Something else that can be applied to is pop pantheons. A lot of people think pop pantheons are woo-woo bullshit, and that's fine. But a lot of people also do work with energy from, say, the Winchester Brothers or the Hallowell Sisters or characters from Star Wars or Star Trek. How do we work with energy from a fictional character, they're egregores. Yeah. I have recently been thinking a lot about the character Seven of Nine from Star Trek. She is one of my favorite characters for a lot of different reasons. Some of the biggest ones being that she is autistic coded like me. I'm not autistic coded. I am autistic. (laughs) (laughs) But Seven of Nine is autistic coded. And recently in the Star Trek Picard, She is also revealed to be queer. She has a queer relationship with another woman. And she becomes captain of the next Enterprise. I'm sorry if I gave anyone spoilers. But she is someone that I identify with who is beautiful, intelligent, successful, 
incredibly strong. So it's one of those things that I think about what she would do if I'm stuck on something. She's not necessarily part of my pop pantheon, but I work with this egregore quite a bit to try and help flesh out my own identity. She's dealt with stuff that's way harder than what I'm going through now. How would she handle this? Of course, this can also manifest (laughs) in scary ways. I mentioned the monster under the bed, and since the child believes that the spirit world exists, it's really hard to convince them that there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. It's also a surprisingly effective way to prevent servitors or thought forms aimed against you from someone else from getting through your wards. Yeah, especially more monstrous egregores. In fact, in ancient Greece, Medusa became egregore, especially when her head is removed from her body for some reason. Um, But her head with her snakes in full rage often appeared at entrances or on doors in order to scare away the negative malicious intent and energy that might be swirling around the area. Uh Something very similar is happening when you have these monstrous looking beings that you are able to add to your spiritual team of guardians. And something that you said intrigued me that they're scaring away that negative energy. It can be used to cleanse your energy and cleanse your home and cleanse the people that are coming into your space. Because if you have a helper spirit of that nature living in your space and somebody comes in and they're like, I'm super uncomfortable, then you don't need them in your space or your attention. No, not your sphere of influence. So now that we've talked about thought forms and the different types of thought forms that there are, the next part of our episode is about non-corporeals. Not all non-corporeals are thought forms. So these are beings without a corporeal body that usually exists from pure energy and in some cases potentially dark energy. Mm -hmm. And they exist with or without the interaction of humans. So if a tree falls in the forest, doesn't make it sound non-corporeals? Yes, it does. Yep. Because non-corporeals don't need our interaction to exist. Yeah. So one of the non-corporeal beings is shadow people. And this is where it's potentially dark energy Mm -hmm. and not just the energy that we understand as of today. Right. Because these are beings that exist in multiple places. And when humans interact with shadow people, you start seeing that these shadow people have habits or patterns stopping to interact with the human in some way, shape, or form on a small scale or a large scale, and then going about their business again. Mm -hmm. So one of the most common shadow people that humans will talk about seeing is the hat man. And we talk about the hat man very glibly, like, oh, I took day quilt, made me high, I saw the hat man. (laughs) But his origins are unknown, but he doesn't seem to be an egregore thought form. He seems to have his own autonomous origin. And he's often seen during things like sleep paralysis in the middle of the night when you're going to the bathroom. But this this particular being seems to have malicious intent. It doesn't necessarily attack or harm people. It just frightens them and is menacing. And that's what the shadow people seem to be, is they're just menacing. 
They just want you to feel unsettled. I haven't heard of stories of them actually touching or interacting with people in a significant way. I don't know if you have, Shannon. I I have. You have several different types of shadow people. You have the hat man category who doesn't want to touch you, but does want you to unsettled. And it seems to enjoy that startled fear that happens when you first see him. Mm -hmm. He, He seems to enjoy that, not necessarily get fed by it, but is definitely enjoying that sensation of you being startled. Then you have shadow people who literally just kind of like you're in an abandoned building because you're doing paranormal investigation or maybe you have some other reason to be there like you're inspecting the building to see if it has to be torn down because it's condemnable and you happen to see the shadow of a human walk between two doors in a hallway it stops looks at you you look at it and then it continues on it has no desire to interact with you its only interaction is i see you and i know you see me and continues on with its existence. And then there's the shadow people that enjoy your startlement so much or enjoy your resonance and your energy so much, they decide to follow you place to place and they will be the ones who will start touching you. And this touch is described by the few people who have talked about it to be only happening at night when they're sleeping. So it's sleep disturbing and they will touch pieces of your body that are not in the blankets or they'll touch parts that are hanging over the the couch or the bed because they're exposed and right so they're kind of again feeding off this unsettling energies that you're putting out but i feel like one way to repel them is to be like take on that really millennial mindset and be like oh you're just misunderstood you're just trying to help me and kind of transform what they are. Yeah, that's exactly why I said that you have that potential of them being, hey, your foot's hanging over, it you're gonna get cold and you're gonna get you're gonna get sick because your foot's outside the blanket. Right. Or kind of being like, stop harassing me, I'm trying to sleep and just treating them like a naughty cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So shadow people are non-corporeals but not thought forms. And you have a whole range of potential ways of how and or why they are interacting with us. There are other kinds of non-corporeals that turn into a haunting. So you move into a home. It's not haunted to begin with, but maybe it looks like the sort of place that could be haunted. Or it has a lot of creaking and settling that goes on and it's just the frame of the house. But again, we believe in a spiritual plane, so it's hard to talk ourselves out of the idea that it might be something paranormal, and something paranormal moves in. It's because we invited it in because of our thoughts. So another non-corporeal being is elementals. Elementals are in no way, shape, or form attached to interacting with humans. They are usually attached to the land or in some cases, the air, fire, smoke. Some elementals are written about in Shakespeare's plays like The Tempest, Ariel. Others are culturally understood as being. Those would be the jinn from the Middle East and North Africa areas. They are beings of fire and smoke, but they don't have a corporeal form. 
So you don't necessarily see them unless they want to be seen. Right. Um, other elementals would include leprechauns and the fae, or in North America, what we just call elementals. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, these beings have a tendency to be very territorial and protective of land. They are there to make sure that there isn't any negative encroachment uh, with malicious or ill-purposed intent to tear down trees, to pollute the rivers, to, in general, disrupt ecosystems. They are very much more like guardians of the ecosystems than they are in any way, shape, or form human-related. Right. And in that case, humans can be some of the most encroaching creatures on Earth. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to see more negative interactions with elementals than positive ones because of that encroachment element that we seem to display more often than not. Right. They don't normally go into homes. If there's an abandoned house, shack, or cabin out in the woods that has not seen human habitation for enough time for roots to start being planted in the walls so the plants and insects are living on the inside, that's elemental territory that is no longer belonging to humans. Right. Um, you see this in the Middle East where there are abandoned buildings and their elementals or jinn have taken nest in those areas and they don't enjoy the encroachment of humans in those areas either. Right. Those, so if you encroach on that territory and they don't want you there or they feel that you're there for negative reasons, they're going to push back. Uh-huh. In North America, we have a large population of homes that sit on elemental protected land And sometimes you see these negative interactions where someone will hear pounding on the roof or the wall from the outside, but not on the inside. Yeah. In some cases, that's the elemental letting you know, excuse me, what do you think you're doing? Why'd you chop down that tree? That was my home. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll make their displeasure known. Right. Some examples of elementals include the Greeks' conception of them, the spirits of the trees, the dryads, the nereids in rivers and water sources, oreads lived in rocks and mountains. They pretty much had a name for the spirits of all of the elements of nature you could think of, and those exist everywhere, and they have different names depending on the indigenous people that live in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, Just in case anyone is interacting with an elemental or think they may be interacting with the elemental, usually an offering out in nature, not anywhere near your home, maybe at the property line of your house to appease it, to let it know that you're not there to damage or cause damage to this, this sacred land or thing that they are protecting. And from then on out, if you can't ignore them, because they can ignore you then. Uh Exactly. You can just kind of pretend each other doesn't exist. Yep. As long as you ain't encroaching on them and they will not encroach on you. Right. If you do cut down a tree, move a rock, disrupt a spring, 
something of that nature and it upsets an elemental and the elemental now has it out for you, you need to apologize and try your best to make it right. You can put the boulder back or try to repair the spring. If a tree is cut down, the best you can do is maybe plant a sapling there, maybe hold a memorial for the tree to express that you now understand how important that that element was to the land. You can even donate to reforestation projects mm-hmm. and somehow demonstrate to the elemental that you did that. Yeah. Another thing you could do is, especially if it's a tree, see if you can't find someone who can make a piece of art out of the tree that you chopped down and put it in its place. Mm-hmm. So create a piece of art that can withstand the weather outside. So that way the tree is still there, just in a different form and acknowledge that what I did was wrong. I had no idea it was this wrong. And in a a way of apologizing, it can be enjoyed for generations. Right. And decreasing the likelihood that somebody is going to pull that stump because why would they? It's a a beautiful piece of art. Mm Mm-hmm. So as much as we like to talk about as a community, as a picking community, how it's not as dangerous as media wants you to believe that it is, we still have to be cautious. We still have to be careful. When you're dealing with these sorts of things, always remember to check out the practical first. If you think that there's a PK manifestation in your house, if you think that you're unconsciously feeding an anger gore, if you think that someone is trying to aim a thought form against you before you jump to conclusions that someone is trying to hex you because you can't breathe, make sure your bra's not too tight. Make sure that your muscles in your back are relaxed. Get checked for allergies. Examine your home or your workspace or wherever it's happening for things that could play tricks on your mind. Infrasound is one of the biggest culprits to make us think that something supernatural is going on. Infrasound are minute sounds and vibrations that go throughout a structure. So they Mm -hmm. make the structure feel just a little bit unsettled. And they've done scientific experiments with infrasound where people will start to think that they see things out of the corner of their eye. They start to hear sounds that aren't actually happening because it just unsettles the nervous system so much that our monkey brain kind of goes back to being in a tree that's about to fall down or living on the side of a cliff that might be shaken in a way that feels unsafe. We got to get out of here because there's going to be an avalanche. Our whole home's going to go into the sea. We don't interact with those things anymore. So our brains have to fill in a danger to make it make sense. Mm -hmm. And that's what infrasound does to us. There have been cases where people have been working late at night and been convinced that there is a poltergeist in their lab or their place of work when really it was just the air conditioning or heating system playing tricks on their mind. Mm -hmm. And a quote-unquote haunted space may have characteristics that just make it seem creepy and spooky in the perfect place for something like that to happen. The other reason it's important to check practical reasons for these things is that there might be something very dangerous to your health going on. Carbon monoxide poisoning is insidious. It's really, really hard to detect with your senses, and it can kill really fast. 
minor carbon monoxide poisoning can make it so that you feel sluggish and you start to hallucinate. You start to hear things that aren't there because it's affecting your brain chemistry. It can make you feel like all of the energy is being sucked out of your body. So you need to get a carbon monoxide test on your home if you start to feel those things happening. Mold may also be a culprit. Black mold is really bad. It's really bad for your health and it can cause all kinds of strange things to happen to your mind too while you're under its influence. High EMF from older faulty wiring can cause fatigue, headaches, cognitive impairment, memory loss, sleep issues, and it can also induce hallucinations and cause just general unsettling. Anything that is practical, that is depriving you of rest, is eventually going to cause auditory and visual hallucinations because a sleep-deprived brain is a crazy brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wants to power down. If you don't power down, it goes haywire. Right. And there's also the possibility that there is a mental illness or another health concern onset that you need to get checked out. People can have bipolar disorder for a long time and not really experience it until something maybe traumatic happens to them and then they have an episode and now you need to treat the bipolar disorder. You may be experiencing extreme anxiety or depression because your brain chemistry is unbalanced because you experienced a traumatic event. These are things that we need to take into account. Nobody wants to have a mental illness, but denying that you have one's not going to help you. It's okay if you can't make your own serotonin. Store-bought is fine. Mm-hmm. And then the next step to take is to determine whether you need to appease the being or tell it to get out your house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is absolutely nothing wrong with standing in the middle of your living room, banging pots and pans together, screaming, you don't pay bills, get your ass out. Mm-hmm. That's all we have on the topic for today. Thank you so much for listening in, and we hope you'll join us again next time. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest, and go to our blog for some more witchy wisdom, as well as check out some of our original art on Society6 for sacred decor and more. Thank you again for joining us, and go make some magic and live your best life. Bye. Bye, everyone.